Morning. Thank you for... Morning. Thanks. Thank you. That makes me feel very affirmed this morning. Thank you for responding. If you could continue responding as the morning goes on, that would be really helpful to me. I do like to know you're all still alive and with me. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Sarah Gelly. I'm part of the preaching team here at City Hope. And I've got the privilege this morning of carrying on with our series through the book of Nehemiah. Out of interest, who has been here for at least two of the sermons we've had on Nehemiah? Loads of you, brilliant. That's actually more of you than me because I'm often out with my baby. Who's enjoyed them so far? Great, that is a really good start. So we as a church are looking at the moment through the book of Nehemiah and we're doing that because we believe prophetically God wants to speak to us through that book about the season that we are in as a church. So not that there's ever just a preaching series, but it's not just a preaching series, right? This is actually a a time where God has really highlighted this book to us. So I really want to encourage you, if you haven't also spent time reading the book of Nehemiah, it's a good idea to do that because God is really pulling things out for us. And I actually want to start this morning's sermon with a bit of an unusual testimony, certainly a very unusual testimony for someone who's about to preach to give about their own sermon. But I really feel stirred that I should do it. And actually, even this morning, I was umming and arming about whether I should. And then Ruth Taylor came to me and said, God says that you should be uh, not ashamed or embarrassed to give personal stories. So I feel like I definitely should. Um, and I believe that God uh, wants me to, because I think he's going to speak to some individuals here prophetically through it. So I want to talk to you slightly about the journey of me doing this morning's sermon. Because uh, I agreed to do this sermon back in August when my life was a little bit more... I guess there was a bit more time in it. Um, And then actually the truth is the weeks building up to this sermon have been quite full on for us as a family. Nothing awful. There's no need for violins. If you've got any, you can put them away. Nothing awful has happened. Just life has happened. And with two small children and being back at work for for both of us, life happening is quite a full-on thing. And the closer we've got to this morning, the more and more I've had this slight sense of dread. You know that slight sicky feeling you have when you're a kid and you haven't done your homework? I've kind of had that feeling for a while. And as I see the date looming, I've been feeling worse and worse. And I've got as close as I've ever got, actually, to phoning the elders and saying, do you know what, I just can't do this. Like, it's just not realistic. It's my earrings, isn't it? Not my actual ear. It's all right. We solved the problem. Do you know what? Bex told me that earlier, but I just didn't hear her properly. Um, Okay, I've got it now. It's all right. You'll be able to hear. Please don't judge me on my lack of earrings. I did wear them today. They did coordinate. Okay, so anyway, my point was... It's a problem that generally women preachers have, right? But, okay, so my point was, now I'm back on track, that actually I got as close as I've ever got to saying to elders, you know, I just can't do it. It's just not realistic. My life circumstances mean that I just don't have capacity to do this at the moment. But actually, I never quite made that call. I never, I never felt quite freedom to do that. And so on Tuesday night, right, I've been at work that day. I'm going to be at work the next day. I'm trying to get Delana, our baby, to sleep. And she's a bit of a monkey at the moment, so she wasn't that keen. And I was, like, watching my preparation minute it's ticking away on the clock while I'm jiggling and jogging and dancing and I literally cried out to God at that moment I said God what am I going to do I'm preaching on Sunday and I don't know how to do this I can't do it and literally within a minute from that prayer I had my entire sermon every single point every biblical reference a whole lot now the reason I felt that it's right to tell you that is two things firstly if you're thinking about going to sleep God's spoken this morning. I feel really confident he has. So it's worth staying awake, okay? Because this is not the sum of hours of my preparation. This is the sum of God speaking, and his voice is much more important than mine. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I really believe there's at least one or two people here 
where you know that God has put dreams on your heart for this season and you know that God's put a call on you, but you feel that because of your life circumstances, you can't do it. So you feel like you've almost given yourself permission to hang back slightly from getting stuck into City Hope or from getting stuck into the things that God's put on your heart because you think, actually, my circumstances mean I can't. And I just feel like God wants to speak to you through my story to say he knew your circumstances when he called you. He knew your circumstances when he put that on your heart. And actually, he wants to release you this morning into what he's got for you, that actually he knows and he can work in it. This is about him and the fullness of who he is, not you and the business of your diary Um, and so actually if that is you and you feel that on your heart then at the end there's going to be a very very clear opportunity to respond Um, and I want you to respond actually just to to release whatever it is you know even if there are things like a sticking plaster you think actually I've just covered over this thing this thing of feeling inadequate that I can't do it then God would say you can do it because he's the one who calls and he who calls is faithful uh, to what he said so having said that I'm going to pray now So I think I've established we need God and then I'm going to get going. So Lord, I just thank you that it is true that you who calls is faithful. Lord, and you're faithful to what you've called us to. Lord, we know that as City Hope, you've called us into a season of rebuilding our walls, of reconsidering our identity in you. And Lord, I just pray that this morning you would breathe with fire over your people. God, that you would give us a new conviction. God, that you give us new courage, new boldness and new strength. Father, by your spirit, because the stakes are high, God, the reality is there. God, there's a real battle going on, Lord. And I pray that you would enable us, God, to fight with real perseverance. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to quickly recap three sermons worth of preaching, or four, I'm not quite sure, three or four. Um, If you haven't actually heard the originals, I'd really, really recommend that you go onto the City Hope website, click on the media link, go down and have a listen, because they've all been outstanding. But just in case you've missed them, I want to give you a brief recap so you know where we are in the book of Nehemiah. So the people of Judah uh, and the Israelites have all been scattered. They're in exile. It's not gone well for them. Uh, There's a guy called Nehemiah who's serving under the king out in Persia or somewhere that isn't Judah. Um, He hears that things are going bad in Jerusalem. So he gets a message from from his brother to say, actually, the walls in Jerusalem are completely obliterated. That means your people have got no identity. There's no security for them. Like enemies can come in and out. They're not really a nation. And Nehemiah is uh, cut to the core by that. He's stirred by God. He's given miraculous favour from the king to go back and rebuild. He then gathers the people. These people have got no identity, no sense of who they are. He's able to gather them together and equip them and, and empower them to rebuild the walls. And if you were here, not last week, but the week before, you'll have heard Dan and Chris, but predominantly Dan, really share his heart around how all the people got together under one vision, unified together to rebuild the walls. And it's inspiring and it's amazing and it's great you think wow God's doing it this is miraculous and then we're going to get to Nehemiah 4 which is our titled Facing Opposition it's the next chapter it's what comes so we've got this real pinnacle of brilliantness as all the people are working shoulder by shoulder to rebuild the walls and then I want us to look at what happens next so to do that I've asked three people to come and help me with reading so they're going to, we're going to need a microphone between them if you're one of my readers please could you um, come and read that would be really great. Yeah, that will come in. Joe, your piece of paper is here. You are yellow. Brilliant. I'll grab that mic there. There you go, Joe. Over to you first. So, um, he's grey. There you go. 
When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we re rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Okay, great. Thank you, readers. <clears throat> That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay, so it's a big chapter, but um, hopefully hearing it like that kind of breaks it down and helps to keep you with us. Oh, 
The first thing I want to point out from this chapter is that as uh, Nehemiah gets going and gets doing what God's called him to, opposition comes and finds him. So verse 1, we, we hear, When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. So it's important for us to note that actually as Nehemiah gets going and people hear of what he's doing, that's when opposition comes. And as we as a church start rebuilding here or, or doing things differently, as we start seeing God's kingdom come, we shouldn't be surprised when opposition comes, right? It's part of the deal. What I'm about to say, for, for some might seem like an obvious point, but I think it's really worth pointing out, that actually the, the relationship goes like this, right? Nehemiah has heard from God what he's been called to do. He starts doing it. He starts doing it well. God's blessing him. And then opposition comes and finds him out. Now, those of us who've been around church circles for a long time might have come across people who seem to have a slightly different relationship with opposition. There can be Christians out there who are almost looking for opposition themselves. They're almost picking a fight. Okay, they see what's going on around them. They see the things they don't like and they start picking on different groups and pointing out their ungodliness, etc., etc. That isn't what happened to Nehemiah. In fact, when I was doing research for today, I listened to some online preachers where people were doing that. They were, they were preaching very aggressively about other groups and then calling it opposition when those people retaliated. That is not what happened. This was not retaliation against Nehemiah. Nehemiah was getting on with the, God, the job that God had given him and opposition came. And actually, we as a church want to be people who are looking to do good to our community, who are looking to love those who aren't like us, who are looking to build God's kingdom in the way that he has called us to do. But as we do that, we shouldn't be surprised if opposition comes. But that's a dynamic. That's a direction. He didn't go looking for opposition. He didn't pick on Sam Ballot. Sam Ballot picked on him. And that is the way that it should be as we're pursuing God. Um, just worth knowing who Stambala and Tobiah are because they're going to come up a bit today and they come up at other points in fact they come up throughout the whole book of Nehemiah they are like regional rulers underneath the king of Persia so they are people of influence they are people with power they are people with a lot of people underneath them so it's not literally like two guys stood like pointing the finger they actually represent a lot of people behind them so the threat that they brought was real and it was big um, and as we do stuff in this church we should expect that we draw the attention of people who have potentially got influence in the same way when you look at the whole chapter the reason I asked um, Abby and Charlotte and Joe to read it in the way they did is I think it draws out there's like a, a call and response pattern to this chapter there's like a, a piece of opposition and then there's Nehemiah's response that actually represents some advance in the task being completed actually and then there's another piece of opposition and then there's Nehemiah's response again there's that sense of a to and fro there's a conversation going on and as I read it and as I mulled on that it kind of almost gave me the picture uh, of like a staircase where it's like there's, there's a forward and then there's a, an up it's like each time you're on the flat and you feel like it's easy there's another up coming and that's what it was like for Nehemiah as he did this task it's like every time he got to a bit where he made an advance and it felt like there was breakthrough actually the next piece of opposition came the next, the next challenge, the next up I don't know if that picture makes sense to you, but it, it resounded with me. And the thing about a staircase is, it might feel like that. And when you're really tired, like at my workplace, there's like a lot of stairs. So I spend a lot of my day going up and down stairs. And it feels like hard work. And you kind of miss the flat. And you think, I like it when it's just all flat and there's no up. But actually, when you look back on a staircase, if it's all flat and no up, you don't actually get anywhere. And actually, if you look at staircase, you think, well, which, which part of that staircase is where I'm advancing? Is it the up or is it the across? The truth is, it's both. 
And actually, progress comes through the, the hard work bits. Actually, that's how you get somewhere. And actually, it's through opposition that Nehemiah is actually refined. The people are refined. They learn more about God, and actually, they move forward. So as we face opposition... We shouldn't just always see it as a bad thing or a hard thing. It's something we've got to push through. But as we do, actually, we're going to be making progress as God's people. Progress does come through opposition and the battles that we learn through it. So what I want to look at um, in the rest of this morning is actually the quality of Nehemiah's response to this opposition. I don't want us to focus loads on the types of opposition, but I want us to look more at actually what, what did Nehemiah do through it and as all of you know, or those who've heard me over the years, you know that actually alliteration is next to godliness. And I'm really pleased that when God spoke to me on Tuesday night, he spoke to me of alliteration. I think that proved my point that alliteration truly is on God's heart. So the three things about Nehemiah's response I think God wants to particularly highlight to us are that he responded firstly with prayer, then with persistence, and then with being prepared or preparation. Right? He was prepared to meet the threat. So let's talk first of all about prayer. So we see it in verse 4 to 5. Let me just read it for you. Um, So the threat comes. There's some mockery. They make him look silly. And this is how Nehemiah responds. He says, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they've thrown insults in the face of your builders. Now, as that was read earlier, I heard a few amens from around the building. I thought, that's great. Because, you know, actually there are people and there are commentators who spend a long time unpicking this prayer and deciding whether or not it's okay that Nehemiah prayed in that way. Because it's actually a pretty strong prayer, right? I haven't prayed in that way about anyone. Certainly not someone who takes the mickey out of me. Right? It's, a, it's a big thing that he prayed. Now, I'm not going to try and unpick whether that's okay or not, because it would take a long time. But there are certain things from it that I just really felt God highlight to me. The first thing is that actually Nehemiah understood the principle that vengeance belongs to our God. See, whether or not it was right that Nehemiah prayed in that way, what I love is that Nehemiah prayed in that way. He didn't act in that way. Right? He didn't go out with his own cutlass. Now, he clearly was pretty well armed, right? Because the whole of the rest of the verse is talking about him having quite big knives and swords. So he could have gone and just sorted them out. He knew where they were, he knew where they lived. But actually, what he does is he takes that anger and he pours it out to God. Now, what does God do with it? That's God's call. Did God do what Nehemiah asked him to? I don't know. Actually, the Bible doesn't tell us, but that's God's business. But actually, Nehemiah took his heart response and he didn't take it straight away to Facebook. He didn't immediately write a letter to his MP, disgruntled from Bermondsey, I'm very upset about this mockery. Actually, he took it first and foremost to God. And as we as a people and um, as a church community, but as a faith community, we are mocked a lot, actually. And I felt partly challenged to say, am I this offended when I hear my faith being mocked? Does it bother me this much? At this point, Sam Ballard has taken the mickey, right? He ramps it up a bit, but at the moment he's taken the mickey. And actually, Nehemiah's response is a godly and fierce anger which he turns to God. So firstly, I felt a challenge to think, do you know what, God, when I hear you mocked, I want to feel that angry. And a lot of time I don't. I just let it go. But secondly, I want to take it first and foremost to God, acknowledging that vengeance is his, judgment is his, all belong to him but actually it's for him to take out and do we pour out our hearts to God when we feel that opposition 
Do you know, as a church, we've got lots of opportunities to pray together corporately. So um, one Friday a month, we have our prayer celebration from 8 till 10.30 here in this building. The Tuesday before that, if you want to bring your families to get involved with that, you can. There is a, a kind of prayer session that is directed towards supporting us as parents to pray alongside our children. You've got connect groups that you can be part of where you can pour out your, your heart to God about the opposition that you face wherever you are, the opposition to the gospel. You can also do that on your own. You know, Nehemiah was on his own. He wasn't dependent on a, on a diary. He didn't say, do you know what, God, I'm a bit angry about this and in three weeks' time on a Friday night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about it. Actually, he responded there and then. And God wants us to be people who respond quickly by coming to him, acknowledging who he is. So the first P is prayer. The second P is persistence. Actually, what did he do? So he's there building the wall because God's told him to build the wall. Some people come and they oppose him. They threaten him. They're big, scary people. What does Nehemiah do? He says, "Uh, can you pass me the cement? I'm just building a wall. Actually, he wasn't put off by the threats and he wasn't sidetracked by them. He knew he had a commission from God and he actually had to continue that. So he got on with the job. And when the people of Israelites of the Israel were tempted to give up, when they started saying, have you heard their threats, they're coming for us, he said to them in a gentle way, remember who God is and get on with it. And actually, as opposition comes to us, have we got a deep enough sense of the commission of God that we would just get on with the job? Actually, that we would continue to persistently and relentlessly build as God has called us to build. Because that's what God asked of us, that's what Nehemiah did. So we went to God in prayer, Then he was persistent and got on with the job that God had called him to do. And finally, he was prepared. You see, if you hear my first two points only, if you now have switched off and you're drifting, Ralph, actually, are you still with me? Ralph's with me, great. Ralph, don't drift off now, right? Because if you hear just the first two points, we're dangerously close to denial, okay? If you think that the right response to opposition is to say, God, I'm going to take it all to you, I'm going to get on with the job I'm doing, you're almost sticking your fingers in your ears and saying, la, 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 la. If I sing loud enough, I might not be there. That is not what Nehemiah did, and that is not, certainly not, what God calls us to do. Nehemiah was not foolish to the threats. Okay, the threat was big. Have you heard the list of people, right? By the time we get to verse 7, so it started with Sambala and Tobiah, right, who are rulers of a province. They're pretty significant people. By verse 7, it's Sambala, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod. It's quite a lot of people. It's a big threat. It's a big deal. It's not a small thing. And actually, Nehemiah was not foolish to that threat. The fact that he started with prayer and then carried on doing what God called him to do does not mean that he was a fool with his fingers in his ears. In fact, his response in verse 14 is this. He says to the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember your God who is great and awesome. And now fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. It's a little bit like a freedom, isn't it? There's like a cry behind it that says, come on. Let's fight for this. You know, as I was preparing, it really reminded me of the, the same spirit and the same cry that we see in the early church in Acts chapter 4, where again, they knew there was a call of God on them to speak the truth boldly about Jesus and who he was. In fact, the future of the entire church rested on the calling that God had given them and the threats were coming. They were real because the threats were coming from the same people who had just crucified Jesus. So again, it was a big deal. And they prayed this. They said, now, Lord, consider their threats 
and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Their fingers were not in their ears. And as we as a church and we as a people, we as individuals face opposition, God is not asking you to stick your fingers in your ears. Acknowledging the threat is not the same thing as giving way to it or giving way to fear. It's just reality. It reminds me a bit of Abraham, where the Bible says that he acknowledging that his body was as good as dead still believed God for the promise. Actually acknowledging the realities is not the same thing as giving way to them. So what did he do? What did preparedness look like for Nehemiah? We built a strategy, and his strategy was this. He said, uh, we see it on my second page. So he says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall and exposed places, um, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. And later on he said uh, in verse 16, From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. So he had a strategy that meant that they had each other covered. So actually those principles that Dan was drawing out two weeks ago about people acting in unity together as a unit regardless of background or uh, yeah, regardless of their, their specifics, actually it still stands here where he's saying actually 50% did the building, 50% were prepared and ready. And you know there are lots of different things that City Hope Church does, right? We've got lots of places where we're fighting and we're in combat. Some examples that we always draw out, but they're, they're useful ones, are things like Food Bank and CAP and Fab Friday. Now, the reality is that in those areas of ministry or youth or wherever else we're doing stuff, it is never all of us physically in that space doing it, right? It never will be. So Fab Friday, there's probably about 10 mums from this church who are regularly at Fab Friday or people who are regularly serving in the cafe, etc., but actually, that does not mean that the rest of us aren't fighting. Actually, Nehemiah had a 50-50 principle that meant that actually, while these people are getting on with the job, these guys have got their backs. They are praying, they're fighting, they're equipped, and they're ready. So actually, we as a church, I think, almost back to that thing where you're saying, if you feel like your circumstances exclude you from some of the calling, they don't. Because we need people who are ready to fight while some of us are building the wall. In whatever areas, you know, if we've got people like Sue Ferret who's doing cap week in, week out, let's get her covered in prayer. If you haven't got the capacity to do that for lots of very good reasons, I don't, I'm not part of cap, but actually I can be part of that 50% who've got her back, who are there, ready, prepared with my sword. Actually, it's a really good principle and strategy for us as a church. Good, thanks, Ruth. So are you. Um, what's the next principle? Well, actually, they were always armed. Like, always, always armed. He says at the end, the last bit, he says, Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when we went for water. There was a constancy about it. They didn't know when the threat was coming. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, we're reminded that the devil is like a prowling lion, right? That means he's always ready to devour. It doesn't mean there are specific moments, like on a Sunday morning, let's, let's get prepared, but on a Monday, we're fine. No, the devil is like a prowling lion, right? The enemy is always real. Opposition is always there. And Nehemiah was always prepared to face that threat. And my question is, what does that look like for us? Because the reality is, if you're in your office on Monday morning and you start going to the water cooler with your cutlass ready at your side, you're probably going to get some looks, right? It, probably, it doesn't literally mean that we need to walk around with a sword. What does it mean for us? 
Well, I think Ephesians chapter 6 gives us a really, really good answer to that question. So I'm quickly going to turn to it. On the slide, it says it's Ephesians chapter 5. I just did that to make sure you're awake. Of course, we all know it's chapter 6. I just want to read to us what it means for us to respond to threats like it did for Nehemiah. So Paul writes this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against Sambalat or against Tobiah or against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. If you want a New Testament application for what Nehemiah 4 teaches us, that is it. If we as a church want to know how to face the opposition that will come as we're building the kingdom, as we're getting on, we've got God's called us to do, when we're being who God wants us to be, then actually Ephesians 6 verse 10 onwards is that okay that is what we must do that's what it means for you to go to the water cooler in your office with your cutlass in hand actually be prepared to fight in and out of season because the threat is real but actually our god is bigger i want us just to finish up with a look at the at the end of this chapter and the end of nehemiah's strategy because i think that god wants to speak really significantly through this so What Nehemiah said to the people um, in verse 19 of the chapter, he said, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out. We're widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Now, as a church and as a people, on Monday morning, we are going to be widely spread out. For you, the calling that God has put on you to build the kingdom, there's some of that that is corporate for us as a church. There might be really specific things in your place of work, in your community, in your family. And you know what? Actually, we are spread out just like those people are spread out building the wall. Um, And so opposition might come against you, and you might be standing there literally on your own with your own little dagger, and you might feel a little bit isolated, right? And that is what Nehemiah saw And he said, actually, that can happen. But there is a power in standing together. So he knew that God was going to fight the battle. He wasn't ever suggesting that his cutlass alone could do it. But he also knew that actually there's a power in the saints standing together and standing against that opposition together. We know that the word of God says that when two are joined together, that's where God is. Actually, when there's unity, that's where God is. And sometimes when we're out in the reality of our lives and we're standing alone and we feel that opposition to the gospel, we can feel disempowered. And actually, there's something about standing together. And I really feel like today, 
in this room, there are going to be people... Paul, you can start limbering up your lips now, um, just so you know. Oh, there you go, look, limbering up. I feel like there might be people here who actually know that in your reality of your life where you are now, that you are facing opposition and you feel alone. What we're going to do... I'm going to explain what we're going to do before we do it so you don't miss it, okay? If you're one of those people that you know you're facing opposition and you're feeling scared and you're feeling like you might lose it, in a second, Paul is going to come and play the trumpet for us as a prophetic act. And as he does that, you are going to stand up where you are because you are calling the church to stand with you, okay? So if you are facing opposition and you're feeling alone, as Paul plays the trumpet, I want you to stand up and that will be a prophetic act and as you stand, those who are close to you, who are around you, are going to come and stand with you and fight with you. Okay? And we're just going to lay hands on you. We're going to stand together as a church and we're going to say, where you are opposed, we are opposed. Where you're facing opposition to the gospel, I'm facing opposition to the gospel. Because God is calling us as a church into a deeper sense of unity, that we would fight each other's battles, that we would stand with a 50-50 relationship that says, actually, while you are building, I am fighting. And while I am building, you are fighting. Because God is drawing us into a, a season in which we've got each other's backs. So, Paul, if you would like to come and play the trumpet, as Paul is playing... Just have a prayerful attitude. And if there are places where you are facing opposition at the moment, please can you just stand as we listen together.